the Real Rural Women's Leadership podcast series. This project is funded through the Department of Agriculture, Water and Environment. It is led by Care Ballon in St George, Ballon Shire in southwest Queensland in conjunction with a team of researchers led by Dr Sarah Casey at the University of the Sunshine Coast. The team includes Dr Gail Crimmins, Dr Saskia de Klerk and Dr Karen Hands alongside Professor Jackie Hewitt from Griffith University. This podcast series is about building women's capacity, empowerment, strategic communication, and business leadership skills. This series is eclectic. We interview community and business leaders, entrepreneurs, academics, communication and media experts, an empowerment and confidence leader, and CEOs, the agitators and the advocates. Our hope is that this series might act as an inspiration and information toolkit for others. You can find more information about our project at www.realruralwomensleadership.com. All episodes contain show notes about the guests with links to their stories. So settle in and enjoy the series as together we chat with these remarkable women. Hi, my name is Dr. Saskia de Klerk and I'm a researcher at UEC focusing on entrepreneurial skill development. My research focuses on how entrepreneurial skills can assist in the development of regions. More specifically, how women, young and old, from culturally diverse backgrounds can be entrepreneurial. Today, on the 1st of March 2022, I'm speaking with Emily Martin. She's in her own words a support system for so many, but especially her family. Emily previously owned a farm and agricultural advisory service wrote a book called The Gift after suffering a traumatic brain injury with a cycling accident. And more recently, she looks after the human resource management of their business, Maranoa Mechanical. She's a powerful example of women in the region who is entrepreneurial and resilient in her approach and in supporting others. Emily, welcome and thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule we know that you are completely busy in all these different areas of helping other women, supporting great causes, but also running a business. And also the gift is a true gift, um, the book that you wrote so many years ago. So I, I'm really privileged to have this conversation with you. As you know, I'm Saskia de Klerk and I'm part of the Real Rural Women Leadership Project. And we are basically getting a bit of a an overview of all the wonderful women doing fantastic stuff in the region. So maybe we can just start off um, by maybe just giving us a brief overview of some of the highlights of your journey up to this point. Thank you, Saskia. I'll I'll try to keep it brief, but uh, yes, probably the highlights of my journey. First and foremost, I often say I'm a personal assistant to four very busy people and they are my husband and three very busy children. And so these days that comes first and foremost for me. And yes, I am a partner, a business partner in our business, which is a a mechanical business. Um, called Maranar Mechanical, based here in St George. I guess, yes, in my younger life, I had lots of highlights and achievements, you know, as a university student. And then I was, I really enjoyed having my own called Aggregate Networks, which was all about facilitating supply chains of primary producers. So from producing a product through to the consumer's needs at the other end and making sure that everywhere along the supply chain, those consumer's needs were being sort of thought about and met. But then, yes, as I guess as children came along, 
I then became more involved in my husband's business. And, and these days, as I say, really, it's, I, I, just, I just juggle lots of balls and I'm just a personal assistant through our own family and also at work behind the scenes at a management level, you know, supporting and I often say I'm coaching, developing and mentoring lots of little people down there just to be the best they can be. So that, that's me. And, and that takes um, a lot of time and specific skills. How, how would you describe being able to have all these balls in the air and looking after so many people? Yeah. So the, the specific skills, I had a, a bit of a think about this. It's, it really is to me, I've, I think all the way through my career, all my life, I've had this continuous learning philosophy. So I'm, I, from a very young age, I realised that there was always so much to learn out there and, and you could benefit from that so much if you just sort of reached out and were open to learning. So it can be on a personal or a professional level and it can be formal or very informal. It's just um, seeking any opportunity to learn something that might help you, you know, in, in what you're trying to do. And secondly, then, it's about, I think, for me, collaboration. Everything I do is a team effort, whether it's in family or in our business or in somewhere in the community. It's about that ability to consult with, to involve, to collaborate, to to join with other people and take the team with you on the journey because I think the end result or definitely the end result is so much better if you have a team involved as opposed to trying to do it myself. And as it's, I mean, it's taken me a while to really to to really learn that lesson because I'm a strong introvert and so I always as a young child I always tended to do things on my own but there's a really lovely quote I think it might be an American Indian quote and it's something like if you want to go fast you go alone but if you want to go far you go together and I think that there's so much value in that so the ability to collaborate and whatever I do is definitely um, one of those skills that certainly helps. And the third problem, so after continuous learning and collaboration, would just be hard work. And I think a lot of, I think most rural women are not afraid of hard work and it's just that work ethic, I think, that I was raised with that I think holds me in good stead. It can also come go against me at times in terms of knowing when to say no, but certainly, you know, it, it has sort of um, enabled me to, you know, yeah, get a long way, I guess, yeah. So that'd be my three my three tips, I guess. And sometimes you also need support. So do you have maybe specific people on your journey that helped you, you know, in terms of developing these skills or recognize that you need these skills? Saskia, yes, definitely. Lots of them. And this is absolutely key. And I'm reluctant to even start to name them because honestly, there have been so many, it just all blurs and it doesn't really matter. I think the key thing is that it's, it doesn't, it can be formal or informal. They can be, you know, leaders in a very formal sense, or they can just be somebody down the street. Uh, I guess I'm a bit like a sponge soaking up what other people have to offer and knowing that there are better ways out there, better ideas. I can't think of it all. Um, There's always somebody out there who can suggest something or ask you something that will cause you to think of something you haven't thought of. So again, I don't think we achieve much on our own. It's very much about, you know, putting yourself out there and seeking opportunities continuously to learn and, and grow and do things a little bit better. So absolutely, I think networks are just so important it Just and it ties back into that continuous learning philosophy and my thoughts about collaborative team efforts. And you also mentioned that you fulfilled that role as well in supporting others. So as much as, you know, 
you need support to do what you do, you also support others. Absolutely. And I guess I'm a little bit passionate about, you know, in community groups but also in our business. You know, I love to do things like provide work experience or take on school-based apprentices or, you know, yes, for my own kids, it's just seeking opportunities for them and and just joining dots so that they have an, an experience that they might not have otherwise had. It's so rewarding when you watch other people learn and grow as well. So I guess I'm a little bit passionate about that, about helping others to do the same thing. So part of the support would be to have that growth mindset and and to be on the lookout for opportunities for others and and possibly for yourself as well. Absolutely. We, in our business, one of my one of the balls that I juggle is sort of managing all the human resources. And we do, for, you know, for the last 16 years that we've owned this business, we do really formal team reviews twice a year and they take a lot of time and preparation on both, well, on my behalf as well as the team members' behalf. But I found the time spent is just so worthwhile because any little issues or challenges or things that can be addressed in those reviews, but also that's when you plan lots of things that will happen in the next six months for that person. So lots of learning opportunities. How can they you know, learn to do something differently, better, who, what network, who can they reach out to for help? What else can they put on their CV and how can they develop their skills so that they're building their repertoire? And I know some employers sometimes are a little bit hesitant about that because there's this thought, oh, we don't, there's a risk that you then upskill people so they're so great they go off to another business. But uh, I guess then the challenge there is that is to try to keep your business growing so that you can always grow to have the next opportunity, the next challenge for that team member. So we do have a number of very long-term employees and it does, the challenges then over the years change because with that time period of employment, it becomes more of a challenge to create new opportunities for them so they can continue to grow and so that they can feel as though they're they're not stagnating. Like you mentioned, that support then comes with them feeling as if they can tell you what might be the best opportunity for them to grow? It's about creating that safe space. As I say, we do it a couple of times a year where they can be really open and honest and tell us if they're sort of bored, stagnated, frustrated, you know, and it's how you then navigate those waters and try to reach a solution that suits everybody. How would you describe what you would like to achieve through your work? I mean, delivering a product or service that is a really good or appropriate quality for the customer and doing it with consistency. And obviously, you know, a healthy bottom line profit is nice if you can manage to to get achieve that as well through droughts and floods and pandemics and everything other challenge that comes along. So um, so the product or service and doing it profitably is important. But in order to do that, it, it comes back to being able to coach, develop and mentor the team to continually do that day in, day out, year in, year out. So for me, while I'm an introvert and I'm not actually a people person at heart, I've, I've learned to be. I mean, I'm, I'm, no, I'm still not a people person, but, but my role as a hum, managing all the human resources for our business is really important and I've learned to, to really um, enjoy and I guess, you know, growing our team to be as good as they can be. You know, if, they, if they're operating to the best they can operate, then it benefits our business and our bottom line ultimately. So, yeah. Yes, so the motivations for you professionally would be to 
see how it, others actually succeed in what they yes. need to do. It's, it's allowing others to be the best they can be. So hopefully that our business, you know, flourishes, I guess, as a result. Having said that, yes, it's always challenging through droughts, floods and pandemics. But, but I guess probably a decade ago, I would have striving to have grown the biggest business bigger or spread to other regions, whereas it's funny, as I'm getting older, I'm sort of more at home and comfortable with with doing just doing the best we can, you know, in, in the small town that we're in. Yeah. And and that's very important because, you know, a lot of people look outside for resources or outside to make a difference. And it's important to look inside as well in the region. And and you've done quite an amazing variety of different things in, in the region in terms of your involvement with some of the like the, the women's cancer groups and, and, and there's also a, a whole variety of volunteering roles that you took on in that space. Is that something that you, you really feel as if you have to do it or that you really get some personal gratification out of being part of that? That's an interesting question as to why I really do that. I think, you know, I think rural communities are great places to live and for for a lot of reasons, but a major reason would be the strength of the community and the the amount that community members do for others. So, so I guess I do feel a sense of obligation that they're, you know, to, to live out here and reap the beautiful rewards of how and where we live and the amazing support networks around us, it is nice to give back and nice to contribute. And I think I just honestly believe that what you put out, what you give to others, comes back to you in the end in some way. So not that that is what drives me to do it in the first place, but certainly I think too just being involved in the Wing and Pink Ladies Day, I think you're probably referring to as well as, well as the local Wing Breast and Prostate Cancer um, Network. I think it's just so rewarding when you do get involved and give to others and you see what you can achieve, you know, and what you can do as a result. And it's lovely when we can manage to do things like, you know, establishing breast care nurses in country towns and, you know, providing small financial um, assistance grants to rural and regional women um, with breast cancer. So, yeah, they're just good examples, I guess, of it, it, I don't know. I think the, 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 it's just the feel good and just knowing that, you know, what you, what you give out comes back to you probably tenfold in the end. Mm. Yeah. So when you look at, and these beautiful examples in the region, but also outside of the region of women that's really taking up a role of prominence so that they can be role models, who's maybe some of those, you don't have to name them, but when you look at the characteristics or personality traits of women that inspire you. Okay. The, the traits that I'm probably trying to practice myself at the moment are my weaknesses. So when I see other women that do it well, I immediately sort of am really inspired and, you know, wish that I could do them better. Because we're in managing lots of little pieces, running families and small businesses, we often um, get so hung up in the small details and having to do so many little tiny administrative tasks to make everything flow smoothly. So for me, and, I, and I'm a detailed task-oriented person, so so more and more I'm really trying to let go of the small details and focus on the bigger picture because I think sometimes we get so bogged down and hung up in all the small details that we have to do, and we do, we have to do them. They're not optional. But you can also get... Um, worn out and run down and a bit disenfranchised sometimes because of the amount of small little pieces of the puzzle you're working on. Sometimes I think you just need to step back, 
focus on the bigger picture, let a few of the little things go occasionally, and, yes, it does mean that balls get dropped, but just focus on, yeah, the bigger, the bigger things that you're trying to achieve. So, and then the next step on from that is whether it's in business or in family, I think it's really important to put those big rocks in the jar first so that the little rocks fit in around it and then the sand comes last, whereas so often we're so busy putting all the little rocks in that then the really, really big things that are important in life might not get the attention that they need. And those big things could be your health or it could be, you know, family relationships. Or So leading on from that, I'm really trying at the moment to prioritise, you know, every day at the start of the day, every week, really prioritise what is the most important thing I need to do today? Because there's always 20 not very important things that have to be done, but it's, well, what, which, which is the bigger rock today or what's the bigger priority? What's more important long-term that I really need to spend some time doing possibly first up this morning that hopefully will help the family or the business or, you know, or the community project, whatever it is, you know, get to its um, destination or get to, get to where it needs to be. All the little stuff can wait a few hours or can wait a day. Or So it's that learning to prioritise. And then lastly, I think it's because I'm so task-oriented and so I've, I've constantly been doing all my life. This year I'm trying to just stop and be and just take a deep breath and just be and, you know, whether it's, practicing a little bit of meditation or just sitting out and just looking at a, a you know a lovely view or you know appreciating the garden but just stopping and being because i think through droughts and then a pandemic and we, we can all just get so busy on the treadmill of every day of what we have to do and it's just it is lovely when you stop and take a deep breath and just be and somehow it does sort of make things flow better, I think. Again, as I'm getting older, you know, it's like the days just get busier and their time goes more quickly. There's only, it's just that realisation, there is only one of me and there are only 24 hours in the day. So like a lot of rural women, I think, I've been very good at being the candle at both ends. So it's just about trying to yeah, stop and smell the roses, I guess, a little bit. So you mentioned meditation because I think a lot of women struggle with this, you know. So now I've got five minutes, I've got an hour what what should I do? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not about what should I do because there's always heaps to do. It's just which yes. one? Where do I start? How do I want to prioritize? And can I actually put the meditation first? <laughs> yes, and and maybe a bit of guilt as well Absolutely. to to put yourself first. I think a lot of women struggle with that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. So. If you if you have to describe women's leadership, because there's textbooks out there and examples of good leadership by men, but um, if we think about women's leadership, how would you describe what that should look like? It, it's just about being the best you can be in your little world. Because I think so often when we hear that word leadership, it has links to or or infers leadership in the very traditional sense of the word where you're sort of leading a country or leading a top ASX 200 company or you're leading something on a very big scale. I hope over the, the last decade or more all of the work that's been done with rural women has tried to address that and tried to empower women to that we can all be leaders in our little in our families, in our little businesses, in our communities. And the results of us being good leaders can be just as important, just as rewarding, 
just as um, you know profound as as the very big leaders in the traditional sense of the word. And I just think that women, to be honest, can do this so well because so often they're not just leading one big company or one country. They're actually involved in so many things, as I've just said, the, the, the family, the business, the community groups. So, so that, that this little tool, leader's toolkit is spread across so many beneficiaries. So it's really important, I think, and it's great for rural women to seek out those opportunities to just keep developing that little toolkit. I, I like the word toolkit because um, everybody's toolkit might be a bit different, but it's Absolutely. important to have that arsenal of of yeah. resources to tap into when you need it. Absolutely. And we're all different people to start with, different personality types, different strengths and weaknesses. So, you know, our toolkits are all going to be um, different. You know, if we're on a growth, if we have a growth mindset and we're on a continuous learning journey, we're, you know, putting, trying to put things in that toolkit that are really going to help us in our, you know, situation, help us to do better what we perhaps don't naturally do well or easily. So, yeah, it's important to keep investing in that toolkit. Yeah. What you also mentioned is the the change in mindset that it's not something that's beyond your reach, or it's only important people outside of a region that might be the leaders. But you can have that impact and make a difference where you are. Absolutely, and you can be a retiree in the smallest little community group and still be a fantastic leader, influencing the group of people around you and the you know whatever the common goal is of that little group. So. Yeah, these are, these are lifelong skills that we can use everywhere, every day. So when you think about maybe some of the skills that you need in that toolkit as a leader, what would you describe that to be? Definitely communication skills, I think, to be able to communicate on lots of different levels uh, and to be, yeah, to, and, and, you know, ranging from being very empathetic and looking after the emotional needs of somebody through to then, I guess, extending that person in more of an intellectual capacity to, you know, plan a project or, you know, achieve a result. So, yeah, communication skills definitely and just the ability then to work well in a, with a team. And I guess then it's about, you know, being able to inspire and motivate people to, you know, see the opportunity, see the possibilities, see what's what they can, what, what, they, what could be achieved. So, yeah, and then I guess... I'm also a systems and process sort of person, so I tend to then get busy wherever I am building the systems and processes to make sure that whatever, you know, fantastic task has been achieved or is about to happen to make sure that that can be replicated again, you know, down the track with the minimal of fuss. So, yeah, and then probably celebrating the wins. I think, too, it's really nice, too, to – it doesn't have to be – it can just be small around the smoko table you know, on a weekly basis or a Friday afternoon beer or the local community group, you know, before or after the event, just patting people on the back and, and celebrating whatever you've achieved and, yeah, enjoying, the, you know, that feeling. Yeah. That, that's really practical things and I think that's so important because it's not as if you have to go somewhere else or need a lot of resources to actually be able to do all of those things. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. It's... Um, yeah. I like the idea that you also mentioned, you know, the practicality of it, to have systems in place, but also look for ways to reproduce that without having to go back to the drawing board every time. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I've always been, I guess, you know, I write lists and I write notes and I file things in order and I, 
you know, I've developed quality assurance programs over the years when I've had to. And, and yes, as much as it's boring, a lot of people see it as boring and mundane and it can be, but the benefits are that it then means you can reproduce something with a minimal effort, minimal thought, you know, down the track and do it hopefully fairly well. Or you've got a really good base to spring from when you, and you can then improve on that next time you do it or whether it's in a community group or, or a business or. I find too, as a um, small business owner, there's only one of me and one little brain and it gets a bit worn out and stretched at times. So it's really good the more that it is documented and it does make it easier for me. It means I can, you know, find that file and remember how we did it last time. That's great because it's almost like creating this resource for yeah, it is um, definitely best resources. practice. Yep. Yeah. And I think um, technology is allowing us to take it a step further these days. I, I just find it amazing that everything that I do is now in a cloud and I can access all of my work stuff, all of my home stuff, you know, a lot of the kids' stuff. It's all just in one place. I can access it anywhere, anytime. And it just, it, so providing the technology works, <laughs> there's a lot of frustration at times when it doesn't work. <laughs> but provided it works, it does mean things can be very efficient. And yeah, it can be a great resource, but um, a great source of, of misery as well. <laughs> Yeah. Mm. Would you describe that as one of the challenges that you've faced on your professional journey of adapting to new systems or new ways of doing things? Or how would you describe some of the challenges on your professional journey? Keeping up with technology is, is a constant sort of battle. I guess I'm looking to my kids more and more these days and lucky my husband has become more interested and tech savvy. And But yes, and we certainly really rely on our, our IT managers. But other than that, I think for me, lack of time, time is such a, a challenge for me. And so managing that time well, and again, I, I think I mentioned earlier, it's le- about me learning to prioritise and do the, the really important stuff first. So time, fatigue would be the next thing. I think I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, I'm good at burning the candle at both ends and there's lot, always lots of balls in the air and I don't like to drop them. But the, managing that fatigue then becomes a priority, you know, meditation and trying to just take the um, opportunity just to be sometimes and just take a deep breath rather than rushing straight into the next doing task. I guess then along with that, for me, being able to delegate to others and the problem or my challenge with delegating is, First of all, it's about me being really, I like to do things my way and do them myself. And over the years, you know, I've been a bit more controlling than I would like to be. I'm learning not to be, but, you know, it's about A, even wanting to to delegate and and being happy and comfortable and willing to let others do things. And they may do things a little bit differently to me, but learning to accept that that's okay, the outcome will actually still be very similar. But then the other challenge is um, it's just when there is honestly hardly anyone to delegate to it's scratching around and really you know reaching deep into the bottom of the barrel trying to find somebody to delegate something to and so back to your question I think you know the the current challenges for me in in my little leadership world it's managing time managing that fatigue and then from all of that it's it's being really conscious of of delegating and getting really innovative as to how to do that. Do you see it as a challenge or maybe as a strength to be in a husband and wife team in a business? Do yeah. you see that sometimes maybe as a strength or how how would you describe that? I know, I know. It's, it is talked about, you know, uh, I guess for good reason. It's not easy all the time to be working and living together. And I think we've done it for a long time now. So we it's certainly, we've been very well supported through all our personal and professional development 
So over the years we have come up with lots of little ways, little things that we do that mean it works well for us. It's, I know it certainly doesn't work well for everyone, but you know we, we do have fairly set areas of the business that we are responsible for and then we rely heavily on each other for the other areas of the business that we're not responsible for. So I think with that over time, it grows a respect for the other person and for what they are doing that you can't or aren't or can't, you know, you can't do everything. I think it's having, for, for me, I do try to have a couple of days a week where I'm working from home. So I'm, I'm actually out of the business uh, and there are a lot of reasons for that. It's also to allow the team to, you know, take responsibility and not, you know, be referring to me all the time so they can grow into being better team players. I think you know, we have, we, we, from the outset, we were very disciplined about we must have family holidays and have time away from the business together as a family. Because I think I grew up like a lot of people do in rural Australia, where you work really hard and family time or family holidays sort of don't happen very often or they're, they're lower on the priority list. So for us, from the outset, we've been determined to make that a high priority and make sure that that happens. And I think that really helps. And I think, yes, it's a constant challenge. It's a constant battle when we come home at night, you know, over over dinner to not talk about work. And we do. We, I mean, occasionally sort of let each other do it, but we are quite good at also saying to each other, hang on, we'll talk for two minutes, but then we're not talking about work. We're, we're talking about family or, you know, the next holiday plan or we try to consciously move the conversation to something we both enjoy or are looking forward to or that is not work-related. But certainly it takes practice and time. You know, it, there's a good reason why not everybody wants to work in business all day with their partner, that's for sure. It seems that time management is quite important in your day, in your week, in your year with planning of holidays, planning of time out or a couple of days working from home. Do you think women need more flexibility than men um, to really do all of this? If, if the female is still trying to perform the traditional role of wife and mother while having a career, absolutely, definitely, because you can't be a great wife and a great mother or, as I say, a personal assistant to four very busy people. <laughs> you can't do that as well as, you know, being in a professional role 40 hours a week. So absolutely, flexibility becomes, you know, really critical, to be honest, to make that all happen. And I think that was from, from the very at the outset, before I was even a mother, that flexibility was why I was actually working for myself in my own little business facilitating supply chains because even back then before children, I just really valued that flexibility of being able to um, do things for myself personally, in amongst doing my back then probably 50 hours a week of paid professional work. It, it just gave me that flexibility and that choice and, and so that's carried through. So, yes, I think um, as employers we are realising the need to become more flexible when it comes to employing particularly females and I think COVID has really helped that in that along with the um, improvements in all of our technology because it's, it's so many of us have now proven how much can be done from home and all the possibilities that, you know, certainly some tasks can be done very well from, from home or off-site or wherever the case may be, yeah. And, and that's something I guess that some leaders are having to get their heads around on, um, you know, oh, basically how to manage it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's a really, really, yes, very contemporary sort of a topical conversation. And it's, it's, I think when I think about companies that now have, a lot of their team working at home two or three or four days a week and or and those team members only come into head office 
for a couple of days a week and they're doing more of this hot desking business. So they don't even need to have a desk for everybody in, every, anymore. They can reduce their floor space and their rental, you know, the amount of rent they're paying. So they don't need to accommodate everyone on the one day. Certainly the very real risk that I see with all of that is how you maintain the team culture because I think it's really important to bring all of the team together or, or, or your teams certainly face-to-face for some time. And I, I think the big the big unknown there and the big question and what we're we'll, we'll be learning going forward out of all of this is, well, what's the optimal amount of time that people actually need to be together face-to-face to build relationships, to build that solid foundation so they can then go out and, you know, work remotely. So I think it's a really interesting space. It's really something we're going to learn a lot about, I think, in the next few years. Yeah. Yes. And and you mentioned that, for instance, labour or hands on deck is, is quite a problem in so many industries and especially in regional areas. Do you think flexibility or maybe thinking differently about how we organise work could be a solution? I think, I think, yes, there is an element of that that can be helpful. Having, having said that, there are certainly some tasks that you just have to be on 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 site at, at for certain hours of the day. For example, we're short in our workshop at the moment of mechanics. So yes, we've always looked at school-based apprentices, you know, apprentices. We're very happy to have mature age apprentices. We're happy to have, yeah, so when I say mature age apprentices, happy to have team who come to us with lots of skills but haven't actually had them officially recognised. So then possibly we can help them to do a little bit more training and become be officially, you know, um, recognised or trade qualified. But I actually, you know, I put an ad on a website just yesterday appealing to semi-retirees or retirees. If you would like to work for a few hours or a few days, you know, over a few months in this in beautiful St George, well, you know, come and talk to us because it's just, I guess, demonstrating that we're willing to be flexible, you know, for, for the for the right sort of people that, you know, fit fit in our team. And so that I guess that's an example of what you're asking about. Yes, and, and I mean, that's one example of, of making do with what's at hand, but also creating new opportunities and connecting the dots at a local level so yeah, that that's people right. can have access and, and feel as if they can participate. Well, mm. Emily, thank you so much for um, giving us some overview because we can talk for hours about all the things that you do and especially um, the, the passion that you have for other people and, and supporting them. I know you you mentioned, you know, to be an introvert, but introverts um, also, you know, have leadership qualities. Um, a lot of people actually think that you have to be an extrovert or you have to have a certain personality to make a difference. But um, I think you're living proof that, you know, it's not a specific personality. It's not a specific stereotypical person that can actually fulfill that role. It's great to have people on the ground willing to do what they can and, and to make a difference in other people's lives. Yeah, absolutely, Saskia. It's about being the best you can be and, yes, making sure that there are some new tool, tools in your toolkit so that you can go out and helpfully, you know, coach, grow, develop, mentor whether it's your family or your people in your business or people in the little community around you, little community groups around you, thank you very much to the RRW <laughs> for their contribution to that space because certainly, you know, you, you've been bringing a lot to, out to St George and, and other places in, in terms of helping us to upskill and, and, you know, build our little toolkits. That's great. And we couldn't do that without, you know, the time and, and effort by women like yourself 
and um, all the other beautiful women that we could um, interview up to this point. And like you mentioned, you know, the toolkit can be different for different women, but it's about taking that step back probably to know what you need in your toolkits uh, and then to build that toolkit from that point on. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Well, Emily, all the best with juggling all the um, personal assistant jobs, <laughs> but also with your business and, and all the challenges that you face in the region. I know it's only going to grow from strength to strength and um, also in your um, personal capacity being involved in so many different organizations and volunteering and doing all these fantastic jobs. Thank you for doing that. And I'm hoping to catch up with you soon at one of those events. Thank you, Saskia. I really enjoyed in being involved. So thank you so much. Emily, take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Rural Women's Leadership podcast series. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd be delighted if you would take a couple of minutes to rate and review our podcast on your chosen listening platform. If you'd like to learn more about this series or get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so via our website at www.realruralwomensleadership.com where you'll also find links to our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram accounts. Thanks again for listening.